You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you ended up opening before Sondheim passed, right? So he was involved. Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't open. We, well, we did. We started previews. Okay. He was there and was great and in good spirits. He was very um, instrumental in the rehearsal process also both times. I mean, he was, he wasn't there every day, but, you know, with it being a show from the 70s that had been done in the UK and then coming here, there was a couple of just like turns of phrase. They were like, no one would say it like that. <laughs> you know, an American right, in right. 2021 wouldn't say X, Y, Z, whatever the phrase was. So we would mm-hmm. ask him if we could change a few things and he i think like i said he came to the first preview which was november 15th and i believe he passed away on november 27th and i think we opened on december 8th or 9th or something like that so i have this quote from him uh in regard to your revival he said what keeps theater alive is the chance always to do it differently with not only fresh casts but fresh viewpoints it's not just a matter of changing pronouns but attitudes Oh, come on. Yeah, that's great. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are discussing the game-changing Stephen Sondheim musical Company, which was a listener request by many of you, including Karen and Pete. Pete, in particular, marveled how consistently the show has been revived throughout the year, saying, quote, there really hasn't been much black ketchup for the past creative teams to move through, which, I mean, Pete, I freaking adore you for showing off your listener badge in one sentence or less. But he's right. He's right. The This musical premiered in, what, like 1970 and then was revived on Broadway in 95, 2006, recently 2021, all with completely different productions, but never because the show, quote unquote, needed to be fixed, right? It's just a wholly fascinating piece of art, and I'm thrilled to be covering it today with a multitude of Jennies. First up, Nikki, are you exhausted because your resume is insane here? The the Book of Mormon, the Gershwin's Board Game Best, <laughs> Les Mis, Promises, Promises, Anything Goes, I Eat a Little Shop of Horrors, not to mention last year's Tony-winning Best Revival Company, where you starred as Jenny, and as the cover for Bobby became the first black woman to lead this legendary show. I mean, during COVID, you <laughs> a cover during the time of COVID, 
you're bound to to go on at least a few <laughs> times. Everyone, please welcome Nikki Renee Daniels. Yay! Oh, yay! Thank you for Nikki, having thank me. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're kind of a legend, and um, and happy Black History Month. Um, okay, so diving right in, what was your relationship to company pre this whole revival? Did you know it? Did you like it? Um, I did know it. Um, I actually was a huge Sondheim fan. When I was about 15, after my freshman year of high school, we moved from Rochester, New York to Atlanta, Georgia. And I had a whole summer in between freshman and sophomore year of high school where I had no friends and nothing to do. Oh. <laughs> so I would uh, go to the library and I would check out scripts and CDs of scores. And I would like sort of bone up on my musical theater knowledge. And that was where I really sort of first fell in love with Sondheim and, and got uh, the scope of his work. I read I think pretty much every script of every show he had done and listened to the songs as I was reading through them. Uh, and that was when I was first That's introduced impressive. to company. So uh, I'm nothing if not thorough with studying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am so a prepared I, artist. <laughs> so I, you know, checked out this. It was like the, these books that had maybe like four Sondheim scripts in one book. And it was like broken down by the time, 1970 to 1979 or whatever. And I would check out the corresponding CDs to those scripts and I would read them and like play the songs as it was going along. So that was when I first became familiar with company and with Sondheim in general. And I hope everybody's taking notes because this is like, (laughs) this is Shiro worthy for sure. So that was really how I got to know a lot of his work. And then when I was in college, I did a summer stock at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. Um, and I, I was, you know, they hire college students to do, sort of be in the singing or dancing ensemble for the entire summer. So I did four shows and then they kept four of the uh, girl singers to stay and be a part of the vocal minority of the of company, which in the original cast, they had four girls who I would assume were also understudies for the women in the show, sure. who sort of uh, sang backup essentially and like oh. filled out the sound um, in the pit. So they sa- they literally sat in the pit and had their mics and they sang along with the show. So they wanted to keep them for this production. So I was one of the four ladies and I, Malcolm Getz was Bobby. Um, Michelle Pock was Joanne. Oh my gosh! Um, there were some really great people in that show. Yeah. I can't, the rest of the cast is escaping me at the moment. But um, for everyone who, yeah, who was, doesn't realize, like Amazing Maisie was playing Joanne. Like, come on, that's yeah. a, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she she was great. So nice. So it was really neat to be able to sit and watch that rehearsal process because Malcolm Getz is obviously a genius and the cast was great so I got to really get familiar with the show just sitting and watching rehearsal and sitting in the pit and singing along with the show but that was those that was my only experience sort of sort of performing in the show before yeah well I mean at least you get to know the score and have a, a connection to the material so then fast forward you're in a gajillion Broadway shows and did you know that had you heard of the gender flip revival happening in London? Of course, of course. I mean, who doesn't know what Miss Lapone is doing at all times? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know anything else about Broadway. You you know what Miss Lapone is doing. <laughs> Where um, is she? So, <laughs> so yeah, of course I heard about that production. Um, I thought it sounded interesting, but 
to be honest, before this revival, I hadn't really been able to get an audition for any Sondheim <laughs> revivals. Uh, they just weren't seeing black people, to be honest. I tried to get seen for that 2008 Sunday in the Park with George. Couldn't get in for that. I couldn't get in for a little night music. Um, but in this Whoa. production, I had seen some of the photos, at least, of the British cast. And I saw that Jenny <laughs> happened to be black and happened to, to be the understudy for Bobby. And I thought... Oh, if they're having a female Bobby, I could do that. So I, you know, emailed my agents and I remember I saw a breakdown for it and it was like hilarious actors. It was something about being very like comically gifted. And I was like, I don't know if I'm that funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> Am I funny maybe enough they to would be in see this? me for Jenny. You know, I mean, when you've got people like Jennifer Samard, that's who Hello. I think of when I see that breakdown. But yeah. um, I thought, you know, maybe they'll see me for it. So I, I got an audition. And at the time, I was actually doing Hamilton in uh, Chicago. And I was flying back from Chicago to New York every week to see my kids. Um, like Sunday night after the matinee finished, I would run to the airport and get on a 7 o'clock flight. And I'd be back in New York on Monday. And then Tuesday, I would leave at noon and go back to Chicago. And I did that oh for nine God. months. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, so I, you know, I got the audition, but I only had like one day in the week that I could go in. So... I went in and Marianne Elliott is just like the nicest, most amazing person to audition for. Just and and Chris Harper, who paid my salary, uh, was just so <laughs> kind. And so, you know, I got to go in and audition for them. And they knew I only had that one day because I think they were having callbacks later that week. Um, so they had me do the scene a few times and I sang Bless This Day and I sang have I got a guy for you? Because I think Jenny and Susan were kind of interchangeable as far as which solo Who was gonna sing what? they sang. So um, I did like all the material I sang, Now a Day Goes By. And it's funny because a lot of times in these auditions, they're like, bring your own song. And they never ask you to sing it. Yeah. <laughs> they actually asked me to sing it. And I was like, oh, whoops, don't, do I know the words? So anyway, that was kind of like <laughs> on the This has been fly. in my book for a while, but. Uh... Right, I was like, oh, I'll just sing this Sondheim song. I think I know the words and put it in my book just in case. And sure enough, they asked for the song. So I was like warning all my friends after that went in for it. Just, you know, they will ask for the song. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, Marianne was great. So complimentary. And I felt like it went really well. They actually didn't have me do any of the Bobby material. Um, so I thought, oh, you know, maybe they don't, you know, want me to understudy Bobby. Or maybe they'll ask me to come back in. But uh, later that week, I got a call from the casting director that asked if I was cast, if I'd be willing to cover Bobby. So I was like, sure. So so that's sort of who am how I, I to was say cast. No. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And then you of course had this insane rehearsal period where covid hits and you get shut down and then you're on hiatus for like how long? How long between 18 months, I think it was. It was insane. March we shut down in March of 20 and we started rehearsal in October of 21. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, everybody. Now, neither Nikki nor I were around for the original production of Company. But you know who was? Terry Ralston. That's right. The original Jenny on Broadway. And she's here with me now to discuss the origins of the legendary show, as well as just like all things Sondheim. I can't think of anybody better. Everyone, please welcome the amazing Terry Ralston. Hooray! I don't think so. You, were, you weren't born when, when the original production was done. Guilty. Yeah. And not- I, I, was, I was in it. However, I was very young. I just graduated from college. Yeah, you know, I mean, exactly. You had to be, oh, just, oh, just graduated from college. Wow. Literally, literally that year. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Okay. Yeah. So and this was like the beginning of your relationship with Sondheim, which also included the original cast of A Little Night Music. You were one of the amazing singers that we hear right at the top of the show. But I want to help everybody remember, and I have to force myself to remember this, that there was a time when Sondheim was not considered the incredible composer that we think of him now, right? When Company Hits, he, of course, was an insane lyricist, having been responsible for West Side Story and Gypsy and all sorts of things. But in terms of composing, he had a big hit with A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, although his score wasn't very celebrated. He didn't even get a Tony nomination for it. And then he had Anyone Can Whistle, which I love, but audiences didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and understandably yeah, yeah. so. It was a little highfalutin, right? <laughs> so going into, I mean, you just said you were a college student, but going into this, what was your perception of him in general? Like, well, who was Sondheim? This is just all very embarrassing because, you know, I had been a drama and music major at San Francisco State. So I was definitely a theater person. But this all happened that I was so green. I was so green. I, I got it. I was cast in this show, Your Own Thing. It was one of the early rock musicals. And it took me to Philadelphia. I went and then went into New York. And I immediately got um, Jacques Brel. And I was doing it in California. I went back then to do it in California. And I went to a, an event to, to, see, to see a friend perform at a club and I somehow ended up sitting next to George Firth who wrote company yeah. and uh, we writer. visited. Yeah. 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 He wrote the book. He, he said, are you an actress? And I said, yes. And he said, well, yeah, I, I, I've written the show and I think that you're absolutely perfect for a role in it. And I paid no heed to that. You know, <laughs> said, oh, come on. Said, well, if you want to see me perform, you can come and see me do Jacques Braldemar, which he did. He then wrote to Hal Prince and said, I just found Jenny. Oh. Now, I didn't know about any of this. Luckily, I did go back to New York to go back into the cast in New York of Jacques Brel. I got called to do an audition and I went and auditioned. And a week later, George Firth called me and said, you got it. You know, and oh, my God, did I not know what the significance of you got it meant. But I I went back there so green and I I don't even I don't think I even knew who Sondheim was. And and, um, even though 
I loved musical theater in, in, in college, doing a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein. And, sure. and I, I can't believe looking back at that time how, how naive I was. And I barely knew who Hal Prince was. So I had no idea. What and, you were walking into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I, I read about them and, you know, I knew they were important. And, and of course, then Michael Bennett. So it was the first, wow. you know, it's the first collaboration of the three of them, which, oh, my God, what a blessed person I have been. I mean, getting to be a part of that time and and work with with them. And then it really my, my entire adult life has been um, centered uh, professionally and uh, theatrically around Sondheim, certainly Hal Prince. But I've done something like. 10 or 12 of Sondheim shows, either directed or, or been in. Wow. And, and um, you know, I, I just never take this for granted for one minute. But, you know, knowing them, um, well, Steve was, I, 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 I remember this moment of we were in rehearsals, and I guess it had to be night music. But anyway, I, I remember being at the water fountain, and he was, it was his 40th birthday. So I, I remember this so clearly. It was his 40th birthday. And, you know, I said something in name like, how's it feel to be 40, you know? And, <laughs> and he was kind, you know? <laughs> but just, I, I've been reading books that I'd never read about him, about Sondheim. And um, as they wrote about him at 40, at, at such an early age, I went, oh, my God, you know, I knew him then. You know, it's... Wow. It's That's incredible. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Now, from what I understand, George Firth, who you've already mentioned, had written all of these small kind of one acts about relationships in New York City. And he was good friends with Stephen Sondheim. And he showed them all of these little moments and said, I think that there's something here. But what do you think? Stephen Sondheim, knowing Hal Prince, was like, do you know what? I'm going to show this to him because he's the best, right? He'll know exactly what you should do with it. Never for a moment thinking that Hal Prince was going to be like, we should write a musical. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. Uh, Hal Prince looks through all of these little one acts and says, there's something here. There's some. There's a musical that can be written about this. Now, it's very easy to look back on it and say what they created was the first concept musical because company in reality doesn't have a standard plot, right? Where this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's all kind of this experience, this collective experience and relationships all playing out for a purpose, but not a plot. And we now look back on it and say, that's the definition of a concept musical. But they certainly didn't know they were doing that. They were just creating something that they thought could be interesting. Now, do you remember any of those types of conversations happening in the room, even among the cast of like, wow, this doesn't have a plot? No, no, we didn't discuss it in that way. I mean, I, I, I will just interject that they didn't know they were doing a concept musical, but they were always looking for breaking new ground. You know, I mean, like Steve never, never repeated himself. Hal Prince had this incredibly creative mind. So I, I know they saw something new, the possibility of something new. And mm -hmm. of course, as, as we know now, it, it changed musical theater forever. 
And the way they, you know, I think Steve knew as they were conceiving this, um, they they knew that the, the, the songs were not going to come out of characters within the scene, but the songs were all going to be about something that else that was going on, basically. Mm. I mean, being alive, of course, gets to that point where it, it is Bobby going through his transition mm-hmm. <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you look at all the songs, you know, doo-doo to do, um, <laughs> you know, poor baby, basically it, it's what ties the individual scenes together. So mm. that's why there's such a wonderful through line because the music is what ties, ties them together. Ooh, I love that. I love that. So what you're saying is like the scenes are individual and then you have these songs connecting them that are at times commenting on them, but are certainly connecting the dots for us as well. Most times commenting on them. But of course, then you had the, 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 the concept that tied it all together, which is the birthday party. Mm. They, they, Bobby's 30th birthday party. And, and was that always there from the get-go, like even oh, yeah. when you started rehearsals? Yeah, yeah, the birthday party was always there. Um, but it went through, you know, of course, a lot of changes. I think that the, um, I mean, but I have to say, I mean, having done shows that didn't make it and, you know, <laughs> closed on the road. And um, we came, we went, I had no idea again. We came into the, this show was really together. When we started rehearsals, I mean, most of the music was was written. There were, of course, changes. Um, I remember the, the first day of rehearsal was hysterical because um, we we all went into the room and we were given given the opening number, mm. at, which was which, in those what days, an opening number, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in those days, Madeline Pincus was the copyist, and it was all written out, you know. Okay. So it was like an accordion of music. I mean, wow. Pages and pages and pages. And, um, you know, we, we looked at this, this difficult piece, you know. And, and of course, I didn't know any better. You know, oh, oh this is fine. You know, and, you know, Fritz, who knew better, who'd been around, you know, said, oh, my God, can you imagine him doing this in Summerstock? You know? <laughs> so we, we learned the opening number and pretty much everything, uh, the, the, the core of the show was there. The scene that probably was giving them the most problem was my scene, the the pot smoking scene. Which, and, to be clear, you were probably way too young to be doing the pot smoking scene, right? Well, I, I was in my early 20s. Okay, okay. More <laughs> than that young. All right, perfect. <laughs> in my early 20s. Well, it was the first show, other, you know, I mean, the first show kind of legitimately to deal with pot because hair was on at the same time. Mm. And of course, that was, you know, wild and crazy but here were these real people upper right. upper middle class or middle class new yorkers you know dealing with with pot smoking and of course jenny my role you know was very square and everything but but anyway it 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 wasn't working and what ultimately had to be done of course i was blaming myself and saying oh my god they're gonna fire me and <laughs> The dressing room and crying and it, it, it had it had to be rewritten because it was too much about pot smoking and not and not uh, the center of it needed to be about the relationship yeah yeah well you know sense. that that got done and it, it it worked you know i think beautifully so wow that's cool 
I also feel, and and if you can shed any light of this, because I've just kind of seen it written about in shadows, the role of Bobby was a problematic one to kind of solve because now that I'm thinking about it, it's always a hard nut to crack. At the very beginning of rehearsals, it was going to be Anthony Perkins from Psycho, if, if everyone remembers. Yeah. who has a beautiful singing voice and Green yeah. Willow, if every, if anybody knows that musical. Uh, but then uh, it went from Anthony Perkins to Dean Jones. And then Dean Jones left pretty soon after it opened? Or was it previews? Two weeks. Wow. And then it became Larry Kurt, who was the original Tony in West Side Story. So what was what was up with this like revolving door of Bobby's? What do you think that's all about? Oh, well, that was personal with Dean. Um, he said, when, when, I, when I was doing the show, I was going through a divorce. Mm. And, and everything, Hal Prince kept saying, this is, a, this is positive marriage, positive marriage. And, and Dean said, everything I was going through was what this play was about. And he said, I just couldn't do it. Wow. And I, I think he probably was also not thrilled with the role. Mm. Um, you know, a famous, well, a famous story. I don't know, famous story. But anyway, uh, the, the the last song, "Being Alive," was the, the the one that went through more changes. You know, it was "Marry Me a Little" and "Happily Ever Happily After." Happily After Ever, yeah. And they were in the uh, having a meeting, and Dean was saying, "You know, when's my song going to be written? When's my song?" And 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 Steve said, "I have written my last roses turn." In other words, don't expect, yeah, don't. Interesting. Yeah, so I think, you know, that might have been part of it, but but it was basically because he was just so unhappy. Yeah, it was a little too. We were told Hal came out and said that he had hepatitis or something like that. Oh, gosh. You know, which he didn't, you know, but that was for press purposes. And so uh, Larry took over, and of course we all loved Larry. Yeah. And uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, and Larry was wonderful. If you've seen the company recording, um, you, you you saw how wonderful Dean was. He was yeah. really. Wonderful. It's such an interesting role because so much of it is about observation, right? For Bobby. Oh, yeah, that, it is. It is. It's about it's. Yeah. It's and definitely. so if you're wanting to be the star of the show and then for most of the show, you just kind of sit and watch other people steal the show away from you until you finally get to sing being alive at the end like i could see how that that could be rough for some actors exactly um it was was the glue (laughs) yeah yeah but like what is company without you had to care about him and you had to understand his his a difficult role but it's a wonderful role because you you have to care for him and you have to understand what he's going through He's, he's so afraid of relationships. You know, to this day, I cannot tell you the number of people that come up to me and say that it's their favorite musical ever, wow. you know, because the, people relate to Bobby. You know, it, 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 it may not all be written and laid out for you, but people relate to this, this fear of intimacy, this fear of relationships and the, the dual longing to be with someone. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think we all have to come to our own being alive moment when we're like, is this worth it or not? You yeah. know, I, I just know for me, at some point I realized if I want to become a better person, then I need to be brave enough to be intimate with somebody 
because they will be my mirror. They will be my greatest teacher, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Well, what an, just want to put this out here. What a crazy way to begin your career. Like, <laughs> like every other oh. new musical that came after this where you're like, yeah, it's, it's no company. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I can't believe it. I mean, I can't. I, when I'm looking back at, at things I've done, and, and I look back at that, as I say, never for a second in my life do I take it for granted. I am so grateful. But I look back and I say, who is that person? You know, how have I got to have this wonderful career? How how did that, you know? That's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a huge blessing that I just, as I say, I'm so grateful for. Now, one of the other big cultural footprints that came from company, besides, of course, just changing the art form in general, is the documentary that was made about recording the cast album. I mean, in in terms of really giving insight into what Broadway 1970s musical theater was like, that documentary is really important to someone like me to see everybody doing their work and, uh, and the relationships and the back and forth. So... Did you know what was happening or was it just like there were camera crews around for for that recording and you didn't think twice about it? Because it's become this iconic thing. Well, it, it, there's two things. One, um, you know, I knew we were going to be on cameras. And again, very young, very green. And I, I, uh, I wore all my stage makeup. Eyelashes, oh. you know, I did, you know, I, Barbara Berry wore sunglasses, red hat on her hat. Um, but I, I had, and, and Donna McKechnie also, she, she had on her eyelashes and was, you know, but I had my full stage makeup on. And um, the next time we were all together, Hal gave some snide remark about the girls wearing their eyelashes, you know, but, you know, but I, I just didn't know any better. But, but in the, the doing of it, 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 it was wonderful because the purpose was to do the, the album. Now, of course, when we went there, you know, w- w- you know, we knew we were being filmed and you're, you're aware of that. But then you, you just totally forget about it. Mm. You, you go to the business at hand, which was to make it the best album ever. You know, mm. just really concentrate on, on what you were doing. And it was also, you know, 14 hours. So in the documentary, there, there's quite a few shots of me lying across chairs, lying on the floor. <laughs> Because that's Um, the reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah. So I love that it's been re-released and, and, you know, people still talk about it. It's a one, and it was, of course, one of the first ones Penny Baker did. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it's just a wonderful documentary. It's fantastic. And it, I mean, everybody there was, just forgot that the camera's there, <laughs> including Stretch, God love her. <laughs> Aren't we all so grateful she did? <laughs> well, see, that's what's so smart about the, the uh, Penny Baker. I mean, in the filming of it, they kept coming back to Elaine. They, they found their through line. They found their drama mm. as they anticipated they might. And, you know, it, it was edited. It, believe me, it was edited sure. because um, the, the, I, I, I watched it with her for all the editing was done and you know we watched it together and and i said well what do you think and she's oh it's great if you want to see someone have a nervous breakdown you know? <laughs> and, and you know it, it was rough but but then the, the the joy that they found by her, you know her coming back and doing it beautifully and you know she wanted to be less so my god this is 
14 hours into this thing, you know. Yeah. Oh, and, and she certainly had nipped. She had nipped. Yeah. Been nipping. Two drinks nipping. doesn't work, as in her own words. <laughs> um, something that just popped up for me. I remember watching the recent Tony Awards performance of the revival. And, you know, during the opening number, everybody was crammed into that, like, little box, the little apartment box. And I was like, no wonder everybody got COVID. <laughs> so, oh, like, God, on yes. top of each other. Yes. Ah. <laughs> and, oh. um, and number two, I was like, wow, like, what a family dynamic this show naturally is going to create. What, what was the dynamic like for, for the group? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I will say this. When we were on the road, it was very funny because, you know, there's bickering between the couples. Of course. <laughs> that and, only makes sense. And the the actors playing the couples, there was bickering. <laughs> there was, you know, they, we were all kind of at each other with our partners. But, oh, my God, we love each other. I mean, we've lost so many, you know. Charlie Kimbrough just passed away two weeks That's ago. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even put that together. Right, because he was in an original yeah. company as well as Sunday oh, in the yeah. Park with George. Oh, yeah. Of course, we've lost wow. Stretch and we've lost. But we are so close. I mean, Donna McKechnie and, and Pam Myers are two of my closest friends in, wow. the, in the world. And yeah, it, it's family. I mean, Donna's like my sister. Well, speaking of Donna, um, Michael Bennett was the choreographer for the show. And I think we don't necessarily think of company as being a, you know, dance musical in the same way that a chorus line well, would be, you know. They, like, intentionally hired non-dancers. <laughs> I definitely fit into that category. <laughs> You're like, guilty as charged. So, uh, so what did Michael Bennett, this legendary director-choreographer, what did he bring to the table in this, in this creative team? Oh, my God. I mean, look at what he did with Side by Side. That brilliant moment. I, can, I, I hate it when shows don't do this, of the, the two couple, you know, tapping, da-da-da, and, and, and everyone has a partner, da-da-da, and then Bobby goes, da-da-da, and he's alone. He doesn't I have mean, it's brilliant. Oh, so, I just got chills thinking about it. And, and, you know, having us come out with a band, you know, all this stuff that he created for non-dancers, you know. Mm. And um, the, the the choreography for do 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 do, you know, all the, 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 and of course his collaboration, you know, he was a huge part of it, huge part of it. That's so cool. You had that big elevator, right? There was the yeah. that elevator that was uh, so iconic, and yes. from what I understand, the reason that the the that one note in company was held as long as it was was because that's how long it took for the elevator. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Steve figured it out. Wow. Steve Sondheim figured it out. He he was an actor and and he he says I write as an actor and I I know and I also write for the choreographer hmm. um, and the director because I know you need a pause here. Hmm. You know. You know, it, it's all it's all there in the music, and, and of course with Jonathan Tunick, the brilliant orchestrator. orchestrator yeah. you, know, you know, he he he's right along with that. You know, yeah. right along. What a partnership! I don't. We don't talk nearly uh, enough about the collaboration between Jonathan Tunick and Stephen Sondheim. Cha yeah. I mean, change the sound of musicals. Absolutely, absolutely. The collaboration between Donna and Michael Bennett was also very special because I feel like he was so inspired by 
her movement and what she was able to bring to it. And the recent revival of a uh, company, I, I love what they did with TikTok. It was so, so special. They didn't have a Donna McKechnie to do it. I mean, exactly. But in the original, you had this incredible dancer in Donna McKechnie. I don't know. How would you describe the original TikTok? Because we'll talk, I'll talk with Nikki a little bit later about uh, the revival one. Well, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, Donna was hired. She, she went in to have an interview with Hal, I guess. And, and she said, well, don't, don't you want me to um, do something for you? And she's, oh, he says, oh, you're already hired. That was, that was, I believe it was a condition of Michael's. Wow. That he would do the show if Donna was in it. And of course, you know, yeah. they were all too happy to have her in it. Sure. I mean, she's, 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 she's my dear friend, but her brilliance, uh, it just, who is, you know, who is this person? The, the dance went through um, some difficulties uh, until they um, brought in um, David Shire and he wrote new dance music. He wrote the dance music. Oh, wow. And um, it, it's, it's sexual. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it has an orgasm, basically. Mm -hmm. It's longing. It's needing. It's rejection. I mean, Michael tells a story with his dance. Mm -hmm. And Donna lives that story. Um, obviously the chorus line dance, you know, is, is spectacular, but so many, including myself, believe that nothing surpasses the TikTok number. Wow. I love that. Yeah, you're totally right. Music in the mirror is always the, the dance that we think of, but the TikTok dance that is, you know, this embodiment of Bobby's sexual, social, intimate needs, right? All all Absolutely. in the the personification of this perfect girl that got away, right? It, it, what they did in the, uh, speaking, I, I, I loved the new version. I really loved it. And I loved Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, was, it was so weird, though. I, I mean, it, it, everything made sense. But to see a guy saying my lines, because, you know, the, the roles are reversed. Right. You know? Yeah. That director. Oh my God. She's something else. Isn't something. She? Oh, God. incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. This has been so much fun. Can you believe that we're already all done? Oh, we have to stop. I know. It's a, <laughs> I know. No, well, but, I, said, but I need there, my limits or I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you want to share about this time though? Cause I know it was so special and I'm so grateful that we get to hear it from you. Well, it changed my life and from that point on, first of all, I got, it was wonderful. I got re recognition and people still think of that show as if it was not <laughs> all those years ago. <laughs> and they remember me as Jenny and, and it's, it's all lovely. But just what I learned, what I learned, and, and then to continue my next show, I went right into a little night music. and It was kind of a foundation of my life and, and Hal and Steve were um i feel like i kind of grew up with him it was wow. amazing amazing blessed life i've had <laughs> that's beautiful terry ralston thank you so much for spending some time well, with us well thank you for asking me this and by the way for anyone who does not realize this woman can still sing her face off well again i'm very grateful for that i my voice I, i'm not bragging I, I feel we're born with 
you know, I feel this is a gift, and my voice is pretty much as strong as ever. I still have the high E's, and although I don't sing high E's, I mean, where where can I sing a high E? <laughs> like Terry Ralston does define gravity. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Terry. You're incredible. And uh, everybody, we're now going to go back to my conversation with Nikki Renee Daniels. Hi, Nikki. So then, I mean, let's dive right into the show because we start out meeting this character of Bobby, who traditionally was always cast as a male. He's in his 30s. He's not married, which uh, traditionally meant that uh, you're a menace to society and you have no direction. (laughs) So... As you came to understand Bobby, because how many times did you go on? I mean, a lot. I think it was nine. It was nine. It was all within that one. That one kind of big week. Yeah. I remember, and I I believe a listener, Tito Wilson, if I remember his name correctly, from Canada was coming to New York to see company. And I was like, go, Nikki Renee Daniels is amazing. So I think (laughs) he saw you that week. Anyway. um, Nice. How? What's your take on her? What? How do you see her and uh, within the world of this show? Um, I mean, definitely so relatable as a woman, and I thought that Marianne Elliott did such an amazing job of sort of putting a theme of like Alice in Wonderland, like you know, through the looking glass, like it's kind of surreal. Go, tr- go through all of these twists and turns and seeing things like sort of on their ear a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are around that age and are single ladies in New York. And, um, you know, I had my first daughter when I was 34, 33, something like that. And so I totally get just, you know, hitting that sort of post 30 age and being like, wait a minute, what is my life? Is this the direction I want my life to be going in? And it's sort of like for women, of course, such a bigger moment just because you're losing your window if you do want to have a family and like quote unquote settle down or however you want to do it you've got to start making decisions and i remember i did a show with the actress uh sharon lawrence um i was in my 20s when we worked together we we became like fast friends we were at williams sound theater festival and we would like go shopping and antiquing and stuff together and i remember her (laughs) like kind of like sitting me down and being like if you want to have kids you need to really think about you need to have it in, in your mind how what you're going to do if you're not settled down by a certain age, if you want to like freeze your eggs or if you want to, you know, you need to like think about plan. it. It was almost like, you know, have a plan. And so, you know, of course, no one's sitting down my mid-20s male friends <laughs> having the same discussion, I mean, you know. That's the truth, They can it? have kids till the end of time. So, you know, it's it's a huge issue for women, especially, you know, in New York, so many women in New York have come there to really be ambitious about some big career thing. You know, like people don't just sort of move to New York and see what happens. Like they're sort of goal oriented type people that move to the city and want to like climb that corporate ladder or get to the top of their field. And so Bobby is a very successful woman and, um, you know, she's, she's having this big birthday and all of her good friends are these married couples who are kind of like, well, (laughs) what do you think? And so, like Sondheim said in that quote you gave, that's the reason to do it in 2022 and not to have sort of a museum period piece. As great as it is, it's totally fine on its own. It doesn't need to be changed, but it's now dated in terms of what's important in the society now as compared to 1970. You know, right. 35-year-old yeah. men who are single, especially in New York City, not anything anyone thinks twice about. 
So I thought it was brilliant to just redo it with a woman. And there was so few lines that even had to be changed, you know, some pronouns here and there. But it just, you know, good writing can be done in any situation anywhere. (laughs) And that's the case with this show. I love this so much because it's kind of the dirty secret that nobody wants to talk about and that nobody wants to criticize ambition of women by bringing up the inevitable inevitable TikTok, if you will, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of like the biological clock. And even I, I, from the beginning in the revival, when Bobby starts hearing like the baby cries, right? Which sends her into this kind of surrealist nightmare <laughs> of, uh-huh. uh, 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 and, and kind of an existential crisis. I was like, Oh, like within the first 30 seconds, I totally got it. I was like, mm-hmm. absolutely. This is the thing that is completely on the inside that nobody really feels comfortable talking about. And we're going to spend like the next two hours in the theater exploring it. Like how freaking exciting. Love yeah, it. I mean, that's that's Marianne. She's she's brilliant. Sweet. So it's Bobby's birthday. They brought Bobby a, a cake to blow out the candles and this is a metaphor slash moment that we keep coming back to throughout the the musical. This moment before blowing out the candles, because the tradition is make a wish, right? What mm-hmm. is the wish? And it takes different forms throughout the show. Like at, at some point, Bobby can't blow out the candles. At one point, Bobby does blow out the candles, but didn't make a wish. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a metaphor for her indecision and her um, inability to take responsibility of putting the direction into her life herself and Mm. not sort of trying to do what her friends want her to do. Um, I think in in the show, the candles aren't supposed to blow out until the very end. So maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw a technical (laughs) difficulty, but all the the friends blow it out, right? At the the top of the, they blow it out. Absolutely. Because their intention is clear. Her Mm, intention is not clear. So she can't blow them out herself until she truly knows and has made the decision of how she wants her life to go. So that's why at the very end of the show, she is the one to take control and even that fire extinguisher can't blow it out right she's she's gotta make her own mind up about where she wants her life to go and blow the candle out for herself and marianne left that up to us to decide what Mm. we wanted it to be you know what version of um bobby's life how she wanted it to go she left it up to us to pick but it had to be for sure in our mind before we blew it out Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so Bobby <laughs> starts this visit kind of Christmas Carol style to all of her different friends. And there are all these little scenes uh, that, that are just so perfectly written by George Firth that reveal the different states of relationships and, and marriages. Mm-hmm. And the first one, which is honestly one of my favorites right <laughs> off the bat, is Sarah and Harry. Absolutely hilarious. This couple who like loves each other and yet they're almost completely sick of each other because they know everything about each other vices and their strengths and their weaknesses and and it's just a a battlefield of all of that stuff going on joanne appears kind of in the middle of this scene to to sing the things you do together which is just a, a brilliant sondheim song with brilliant lyrics probably my favorite the concerts you enjoy together neighbors you annoy together children you destroy together that keep marriage intact uh, it's obviously a little, little bit cynical, um, <laughs> but hilarious nonetheless. So, what do you think about marriage? You're obviously married. Um, <laughs> are you able to laugh at this and also see that? Because I mean, like Dean Jones, when he was first in the show, left the show because he kind of felt, on top of his own depression, that the show was a little too cynical about marriage. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Um. I'm thankfully I'm very happily married, (laughs) but you know, the couples in the, in the show, I definitely, each couple, you can kind of picture a couple that, you know, you know, I have lots of parent friends being a a mom of two kids, you know, at the playground, you pick up a collection of parent friends that you hang out with because you like them, but also just to necessitate playdates or, you know, hanging out at the playground to, to pass the time or you know, getting together for birthday parties or whatever the case may be. Then you have your parents and the cl- your class parents, you know, at school that you're friends with because you know their kids really well and all that. So I could definitely see some of the relationships <laughs> of the of the parent friends that I have on stage and in these characters. Um, you know, there's it's it's a nuanced thing, marriage. I think a lot of people feel like they should get married. So I feel like I had a lot of friends that it was like, well, I'm 32. So this is the person I'm dating. So I should get married because if I want to have kids and I got to get married, you know what I mean? Right, so, right. Um, and then you watch those relationships develop and, you know, far be it for me to say that I have a perfect marriage, but like, I figured it out, I guys. Am, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, I am very happily married. I'm glad I got married. Um, I feel like my life has been better since I got married, but I think some people not necessarily. And so that's, once again, part of her conflict is seeing these relationships that are complicated and, you know, sometimes negative, depending on which couple she's with. There's, I mean, yeah, every couple she's with, really, you see negatives <laughs> to their relationships because that's what Hilariously gives her pause about, negative, is this negative, how right? I, yeah, is this how I really want to, is this the direction I want to take my life? You know, so I think that they are all hilariously complicated (laughs) as they should be to, you know, give they they should be to if everyone had this perfect little charming relationship, then she'd be like, well, that's it. I'm going to get married. It's perfectly clear to me, (laughs) Uh you know, but I think that's part of why being alive is such a brilliant song, you know, someone to hold you too close, (laughs) someone to sit in your chair to ruin your sleep. It's like. 
there's pros to being able to be by yourself and do everything the way you want to do it. You know, there's compromises to be made when you are in a relationship with someone else. And she's, I think, trying to decide if that's for her, if she wants to compromise exactly what she wants in order to hopefully um, have more of a feeling of, I don't know, security is not the word, just more of a feeling of um, wholeness, I guess. Um, yeah. It's cool that he was able to to boil it down to being alive because that kind of, yeah. when you're seeking for the term, you're like, yeah, that does kind of mm-hmm. sum it all up. Question, why, how is your life better for being married? Because if I'm being totally honest, I, I don't think I was going to talk about this, but I've been, <laughs> I've been dating my guy. We've been together for 12 years, oh. I think. And we're, and we're still not married. He has a ring on it. But yeah. it's, I don't know, it's probably also complex with guys because, like, I was told most of my life that marriage wasn't for me by the society. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it was like, now you can have it. And I think on some level I was like, well, maybe I don't want it. And right. <laughs> and then if I invite my family, that might put them in an awkward situation. So it, it, was, it was a loaded yeah. thing. But, but why is your life better for um, it? You know, there's someone who always has your back, someone that you can always count on to be there for you. Um not because they have to, but because they want to, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, it can just be lonely. Commitment. I mean, and, and before I met Jeff, I really was like, serially single. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, I was very, um, I didn't mind, um, it, you know, a lot of friends of mine had boyfriends that were like, not great. And like, that wasn't for me. Like, as soon as someone showed themselves to be anything that I didn't like, I'd be like, okay, I'm good. Bye. You know, (laughs) like I didn't feel the need to just have a boyfriend just because, or because I thought I should. It really was, um, he just really is someone that I think is the best person that I know and, um, Mm -hmm. makes me better in a lot of ways and is the most supportive person that I know. And so he's just like the soft place to land for me. Mm. So, and now that we have two kids, of course, we like rely on each other just in from a technical standpoint of like getting kids to school and all of that. But, um, I choose him every day, you know, because I really, that's romantic. My gosh. (laughs) So, yeah, that's awesome. Do you knowing like your career and your specific schedule, which a Broadway schedule is no joke. Like, is that factor into who you chose to marry? You know what I mean? Yeah, In I mean, you know, I didn't, and... yeah, there, there weren't really apps when we started dating, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mostly dated actors just because that was who I met. Um, mm. I did like match.com. I went on a few like internet dates and those were fine, but I think, um, for me, match. I think I could have married back in the day someone. was kind of sketchy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I went on a few match.com <laughs> dates and it was, uh, I don't know. I don't, I didn't like it. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't that I was like, I have to marry an actor because they're the only person that will understand this life, but it certainly is helpful (laughs) to have someone that understands, oh, I'm going to go to Chicago for nine months and fly back and forth every week, and we have two kids, so you're going to like mostly take care of them, is that fine? (laughs) You know, I don't know that someone who's not an actor would get it (laughs) in that way, so Well, speaking of, because... Jenny and what's Jenny's husband's name? I forget. David. David, thank you. Um, going to an, another couple, another gender reversal in the revival. 
it feels like David's the stay-at-home dad, at least just by mm-hmm. costuming, right? Yeah, <laughs> you picked David's... it up, absolutely, yeah. And Jenny is, she's got her pencil skirt, she's got her business on, and, <laughs> she, uh, and, and she's probably bringing home the bread. Talk about that dynamic in working with uh, Christopher Fitzgerald, who's another comedic genius. Yeah, I mean, well, I was so intimidated going into the rehearsal process just because, I mean, you've got Fitz, who is like truly one of the funniest people I've ever met (laughs) and seen (laughs) on stage. I mean, I knew his wife, actually worked with his wife before um, in Anything Goes, and I loved her. I thought she was great. Uh, Jesse Stone. Oh, uh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, she directed Kimberly Akimbo. She's yeah. gotten into directing more in the past like decade, but I first worked with her in that revival of Anything Goes with Sutton sure. Foster. And I understudied Hope in that, so we would share a dressing room sometimes, and I thought she was great. And okay. I had seen Chris, obviously, in, sh- in many a show, most recently Waitress, where he like had me howling in the, in the aisles. <laughs> so I was Adorable. so intimidated so to be like... I'm going to be in a scene with like three-time Tony nominee Chris Fitzgerald, who's like the funniest person ever, and Katrina Lank, who's a Tony Award winner and one of the most brilliant actresses like ever. So I was super intimidated going into it because, you know, I I don't have all those accolades. I'm just like some Broadway singer girl. But oh, um, stop. Who's mildly hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I got energy. Um, <laughs> you... But um, I was just super intimidated going into it. And actually, I feel like a lot more confident having worked with them because Mm. we really like teased apart everything in the scene and like made it our own. And even when we came back after COVID, we like redid all of the table work and like talked about everything again and like really Really? even deepened the relationships. Um, So so it was really great just working with them both because they're so open and to just trying anything. And I felt like our scene was especially difficult because in the 70s and when it had done been done before it was sort of like they're getting high isn't that yeah. crazy like smoking who does marijuana you know? <laughs> yeah like it was like just the fact that they were smoking marijuana was like oh like taboo mm-hmm. or something and now it's that like was legal everywhere and yeah that was the joke so we're like how do we do this scene and make it relevant and still funny and jenny's a successful lady she's you know her and bobby were in our version of it, her and Bobby were friends in college, and her and Bobby and Jamie were good friends. That was our story. Oh, I love <laughs> um, that. In college, so we all knew each other forever. Because one thing Marianne wanted to focus on is which of us was Bobby's friend, and the other was like her friend by association the, as the spouse. Exactly. So Bobby was like my friend, but you know there was like a little bit of competitiveness between us. I feel like, or at least from Jenny's standpoint, as far as is my husband flirting with you, um, and. Mm. You know, I could relate to Jenny as just like a woman trying to have it all, you know, like Mm -hmm. I talked about, you know, having a partner who is willing to be like, yes, I'll be the primary caretaker of the kids while you go and do Hamilton (laughs) in Chicago, you know, or whatever. And so I definitely related to her in that way. Um, Being in an interracial marriage, like that's my husband's white. So like that was we talked about just what is that, (laughs) you know, Um, especially the second time around after everything, the racial reckoning that we've had in the United States with George Floyd and all that. We brought all that in and just discussed it. Not that it really has anything to do with the scene, but it has to do with the relationship. And we wanted the relationship to be crystal clear and all that. And so so just working with the two of them was really, really awesome. And Marianne has honestly changed how I will approach a character in rehearsal from this day forward because just the level of detail was such that I had never 
been a part of in a rehearsal process. I'd certainly done my homework and made up my sure. mind about what my character was, but to spend hours at a table <laughs> in this scene that ultimately is like a hilarious comedic scene. Yeah, but about just people having getting all high. of those all of those details underneath really I felt like made our relationship really true, the relationship between Fitz and I. Uh, we got a lot of compliments that we really seemed like a married couple. Like we seemed really like comfortable with one another, which um, was one of the greatest compliments for me. The end of that scene is always so touching to me because uh, Jenny says he hates getting high, but he does. He's doing it for me, and mm-hmm. and and Bobby's like, no, but he he looks like he's having so much fun. Like he's having fun for me. You know, Uh to be able to recognize when, to know someone so well, to recognize that what they are doing is actually a sacrifice in some way because they're doing it for you, you know? Or is she just jealous um, that, (laughs) and so she has to put Bobby in her place by (gasps) saying. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Nah, I know you think he's having so much fun because you brought this, pot to our house but really oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh i'm my mind's but. being blown okay so <laughs> so like when when it's almost like a, a standoff you're like yeah no, he's doing this for me not you doll yeah and then she's like he didn't like it and then and then what is what is what did i say right before i turned and walked away she said something and i just went <laughs> and then walked away like yeah. this conversation is done Oh, that's In right. In my because, view, that's what it was about. No, that's absolutely right. And but also, I think absolutely true. You know, and I think that that's yeah. probably why it was still emotional for me. Um, yeah. But there I is mean, that. I mean, he was li- doing it. He wouldn't have ever done anything like that without. Jenny. Exactly, it's just not part but, of his personality, right? But yeah. the um, but the end of that scene, you're trying to get rid of him and saying like, "I'm starving. Mm-hmm. Go make me food," or like, "Go start yeah. dinner." <laughs> And then at the end of the scene, uh, you said like, "I'm gonna go help him." What do you like? What do you think? What do you think about uh-huh. that? What like, do you say? And, yeah. What do you uh-huh. say? And and that is kind of a challenge, right? Like. Yeah. No, that was the line. I got a note on that line every day. <laughs> like I always got because because Marion would be like, "Just throw it away," and then I throw it away, and she'd be like, "Well, it has to have like some meaning though." <laughs> so it was like finding like the perfect no, nuance that's to hard. just that, that line. Hard. Um. And two, it was all about power dynamics. Like, who is the powerful person in the scene at the moment? And that was sort of the moment when Jenny's like, and takes wow. the, the power. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, a couple of other people that I want to touch on before you have to go. Let's talk about your other friend, Jamie, right? Who was mm-hmm. previously Amy. And so, like, the, your backstory was that you three were friends in college. Uh, Jamie is getting married to Paul. And of course, there's this amazing song, Getting Married Today, legendary pattern song. And to hear how Sondheim like really thought of the singer, because I mean, it's difficult, but to try and craft a lyric that could easily come off the tongue as quickly as possible. Like he wasn't purposely trying to make it difficult for the actor. It's very cool to to read his how he did that. But when I first heard about this gender swap, this moment always felt a little problematic to me because I was like, Bobby is going to try and marry her gay best friend. That sounds like (laughs) now Bobby's not just like adorably lost. Now Bobby seems full on like gone. So Mm -hmm. how do you think she justifies this as like a modern woman living in New York City to like marry a gay dude? Uh, Well, for me, I know my best friend, my Jamie is my friend, Randy. (laughs) And when we were, you know, 28 or something, we were like, if we 
stay single. If we're single by the time we're 40, we're going to marry each other. So we can like adopt a kid or you can like, you know, donate some sperm or something. <laughs> sure. We can like have someone to like, you know, at least we'll know we have each other to take care of each other for the rest of our lives, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess so that's that was true. like our, that's our so thing. True. So for me, I just yeah, sort it... of channeled that into it. <laughs> no, that <laughs> makes sense. It's sort of an because... irrational moment of like maybe they had that that pact or maybe they discussed well if we're all if we're single in our old age we'll just marry each other so everyone will leave us alone and we'll know that we're taken care of well and i guess that just also reveals my bias about what i define marriage to be that it has to be this like deeply romantic commitment and at that point bobby's probably looking at it as a partnership like the what's the best partnership i could i could find and maybe it's with my best friend you know yeah interesting Okay, I buy it. Um, the <laughs> so fun that that leads into marry me a little, and there was rain, and she's like having this breakdown in the rain, and uh, yeah. were you wearing? Oh, you a saw wig? the rain. Yeah. Oh, it was. was cut. Did like, the rain get cut? Yeah, it was just causing the set broke down a lot, and it was oh. I think partially because of the water getting into everything, so they just cut the rain, and probably oh. in actually right before I went on, so I never did it, but oh, okay. she had a whole plastic thing and a two mics and a changing of the mic and it was a whole thing yeah, that, seemed, that they that's had to do of... to, to make the rain work okay well cut that rain no one needs it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was a cool effect though i thought it was no, really cool no it was it was really interesting so uh one of the things that i often talk about in musical theater is that we'll have this show like my fair lady where there's eliza doolittle and you know this incredible character but she's just surrounded by men which means that really there's only one good female character in, in my fair lady and like 17 amazing male characters and the one thing about this gender flop is that it does get rid of a lot of amazing female characters yeah. namely namely uh bobby's kind of uh boy toys so she has these three guys that she's always that she's kind of been dating on and off in her past and in the original they were three girls of course. Let's just kind of look at them real quick. We got the dumb one <laughs> who's a flight attendant. We got a sweet, sexy, but also like just clueless and knows it, which is kind of adorable. We got the perfect guy kind of the one that got away. Mm-hmm. I, I love that scene between Bobby and Kathy or Theo because they reveal like, oh, I wanted to marry you. Really? Because I wanted to marry you, but now it's mm-hmm. too late. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the tragedy of that. I guess it's always easier to pine over the one that got away than look for the one that's right for now. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think if if Bobby and Theo were supposed to really be together, it would have worked out. I think there was, mostly it seems like, based on the script, she wasn't putting herself out there enough. She was a little bit closed off, and he just got tired of playing that game. So he yeah. said, I want, a, I want a wife, and that meant completely cutting things off with her. Which, it, you know, you always want, you don't know what you got till it's gone. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, oh... Huh. Wow, that's some healthy boundary setting. Then we also have kind of the rock and roller yeah. who sings Another Hundred People. I mean, you that song had to be in your book for a while, right? I, that feels like yeah, a Nicky Renee Daniels song. I sang it with the uh, Tanglewood, the Boston um, Symphony at Tanglewood <laughs> last <Yes>. summer. <laughs> yeah. 
So what is your take on New York? Because New York is the other character in a Sex in the City type way. Do you love the city? How do you feel about her? Does it depend on Me the day? Me personally? Yeah. Me personally? I yeah. love the city. I'm a city yeah. girl, hands down. Like, <laughs> we were even in Maui, which is so beautiful and, and lovely. But I was like, I couldn't imagine living here. <laughs> slow. <laughs> like, it not, is slow, slow. Not forever. Like, I love the hustle and bustle and, like, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's like sure. tough. And, you know, of course there's parts of it that I hate, but <laughs> in general, like whenever I'm coming back to the city after 20 years of living here, still, I like get excited. Like, yes, this is Aww. it. We're going back home. So I love New York City. And I think Bobby but, does too. I, th I think you're right. And there is a frenetic energy about it, especially in your revival. The choreography felt so like. Yeah fast like i just did the choreography on mic and nobody <laughs> saw it but it was very fast and very almost anxiety filled and it, yeah. it felt tied to new york i don't know if that was the intention yeah. but that was though liam was always trying telling us like arrest like stop like in your tracks and then move and stop you know it's like oh it's about like, like the you know, stillness as yeah, well as the movement. yeah mm -hmm. that's cool all right last character i want to talk touch on joanne la lapone who won a Tony for uh, for doing this? Her number, "The Ladies Who Lunch," is you know a three act play, as Sondheim calls it, and in which she talks about all of these different kinds of women at different stages in their lives. Now, I'm kind of I've always been under the impression that Joanne is all of these women. That she's been all of these women at some point. But what do you think? Mm -hmm. Um. I think the last verse is the one that she connects the most with and that she and Bobby mm. both connect the most with. And That's so great. it's almost like a cautionary tale, I feel like, from Joanne to Bobby in that last verse. Uh, here's to the girls who just watch, aren't they the best? When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch plus a little jest. Ooh, yeah, another, another chance, chance to, to disapprove, <laughs> another brilliant zinger, another reason not to move, another vodka stinger. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the story, the backstory with Patty and Katrina, at least, was that they had met at some, like, charity gala that Bobby had to go to for work, and Joanne was there as someone who had given a lot of money and they met up at the bar and sort of just connected as the people on the outside kind of making fun of how ridiculous all of it is you know mm -hmm. and sort of s people watching and being funny and having their drinks and so or that's what i i love that uh gleaned from watching her sing that song which was incredible to sit at that table across from her and watch because she's that. just so i mean there's no one like her she's just brilliant and so in control it'd be of different craft, every man. night and yeah she just knows just the audience so well and like just how exactly to do it she's a legend that's why she's a legend i love the idea that this character and she is the last like this is the last moment before bobby finally makes her wish so to speak that she is the mirror right which is ultimately mm -hmm. what good partners are i think for us they're mirrors Mm -hmm. But uh, and even in TikTok, you know, when Patty's character in the TikTok, when 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 in our production, Bobby's watching, Su well, Susan and Jenny and uh, Sarah, Sarah and Joanne all are dressed in different red versions of Bobby. So one's a single mom. That was me with the stroller and the briefcase and all that. One really? is if she had married Theo. One is 
if she had married PJ and the other one is if she stays single and like is a party girl sort of the rest of her life, which is what oh, Patty interesting. played. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so, Cause I think I was focused on individual ones that I yeah. didn't see others. That's so, that's so yeah. fun. So, many so Patty is the version of her that doesn't get married and it comes in, stumbles in with some guy and sends him off. And she's like clearly a mess, yeah. <laughs> you know, just um, by, by herself. And so Joanne is when, when she sings ladies who lunch to her, I feel like it's, sort of connected to that TikTok. She's like, oh, well, if, if you don't want to settle down, if you don't want to, then maybe that is your what your life is going to be. Hmm. Which is not mm-hmm. to say I think that if you don't get married, you're going to no, have a terrible, no. sad life. But I think that was just an example of what her life could have been if she didn't. Well, and to be down. clear, Joanne did get married and still is living that yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily getting married, but maybe how you get married, how one decides to make mm-hmm. that decision. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So then the show ends with Bobby making a wish, with deciding, okay, it's it's worth the vulnerability. Because is that ultimately mm-hmm. what she's lacking in, in making up her mind? I mean, I think so. I think <clears throat> for my Bobby that I picture her growing up in a household where her, her parents' marriage was not something to aspire to. And she mm. wanted to be sure to make it on her own and to be able to know that she can take care of herself. So for me, I did at the end, it was not a wish of, yes, I'm going to go out there and find a husband. <laughs> it was just a wish of like, I'm going to actually really put myself out there and for better or for worse, see what happens and not sort of be too closed off and unwilling to to put myself out there. Yeah. I think it's an important message for all of us, especially coming back from the pandemic. I see how we were so trained to almost get used to a lack of commitment in because mm-hmm. anything could have happened at any point. And it's just something that we have to reckon with, like how much of ourselves are we willing to commit to to think to what we believe in yeah. and in order to make that decision, you have to decide what you believe in the first place, I guess. Yeah. Nikki, thank you so much for doing this with me. Of course. What an incredible show. Hearing how much time you spent on it just reveals to me that it, uh, what a masterpiece it is and how in the right hands you can kind of turn a lot of things into masterpieces uh, based on the way that you approach it or the intention with which you present it to an audience. It's really beautiful. Thank you. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, please email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at a musical podcast. You can find all these links in our show notes below. We also have a tea Public store with amazing designs that if you order, the profits from them will go to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. And don't forget about Patreon exclamation point where for only $1 a month, you can receive bonus episodes and content. We got some great stuff coming up. I'm excited. Hey, Miss Nikki Renee Daniels, how do we follow you and everything you're up to? Um, you know, I, I'm, right now I'm doing a lot of symphony uh, concert work, so I post about all of that on my social media channels. I'm at Nikki Renee Sings on Twitter, and I just joined TikTok. Did you <laughs> and really? On Instagram, I did. Yeah. Yes. So, so everybody, be on the lookout because uh, 
This girl's got it. I like you. I'm so grateful that you were on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for asking me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, listen, everybody, look, I don't know what you're waiting for. A wedding. What's a wedding? It's a prehistoric ritual where everybody promises fidelity forever, which is maybe the most horrifying word I've ever heard, which is followed by a honeymoon when suddenly he'll realize he's saddled with a nun and want to kill me, which he should. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.